0: Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. We're gonna close up this book this evening, and I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and address one of arguably the Uh, one of the most popular New Testament texts or verses that you hear quoted, probably more than John 3, 16. We see this verse on mugs. People post it on social media. They sew it into pillows. You'll find it on Pinterest. I don't know. But we hear these words all the time, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. People love to quote this verse because this is a great verse to quote when people are fearful and when people are afraid. And this is a really easy verse to quote, but not necessarily an easy one to actually listen to and practice. But one thing that I I wanna lean into a little more tonight that we never quote is verses four and five. And verses four and five kind of set the precedent for verses six and seven. So can we go ahead and put up Philippians chapter four, starting in verse four here, brothers and sisters, the word of the Lord says this, rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. Rejoice Rejoice in the Lord. Always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord, to which all God's people said. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. And Spirit, we need you here this evening. We need you to speak to us. We need you to yet again reveal your heart with us. Lord, I, I, um, I get a sense that there is a, a great amount of anxiety that is abiding within this room right now. And Father, I pray that... Um, you would show us what you invite us into when it comes to that anxiety. Father, I pray for miracles to happen this evening. I pray for burdens to be lifted this evening. I pray for hope to be restored this evening. I pray for eyes to be open and ears to be open and minds to be open and, and hearts of stone turned into to hearts of flesh. So would you come? Would the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And if you can agree with that, can you say amen? amen? There are three types of people in this world. Three. There are the people who like to look at situations, circumstances, and life with the glass half full, right? These are our friends who we might call the optimists. They have a way of looking at the good in every situation. They have a way of putting a positive twist on every situation. The second type of people in this world are people who just look at the glass as it is, right? Are realists. They, don't, they might not see the worst in the situation. They might not see the best in the situation. They just look at the situation for the way that it is. And then there are people in this world that, take the glass, throw it on the ground, see it broken, and are just depressing to be around, right? The pessimists. I know we have a few of you in here, right? Like, like just, just the world is awful. And they wake up going, everything is terrible. There's nothing good in the world. My question to you is, do you, have you ever had a friend who is in category number one? They're optimistic, They like to look at like, like they're your, they're they're like, everything is beautiful in life no matter what. They will find the good in every single situation. These people are frustrating for two reasons. One, because they're just irritating to be around. They're like, isn't that beautiful? You're like, shut up. Right? Like, like they're just irritating to be around, but they're irritating to be around because in many ways, we're jealous of people like this. We wish we could be people like this. Like, I kind of sit in category number two and I lean to category number three. I like to look at the world the way that it is and then sometimes be really depressing, right? Like, like that's just the way that I view the world. But my very best bud from childhood, who's now my brother-in-law, he loves to look at the world like it's all good. All good, and I. The perfect example of this is when we graduated high school. We were living out in Texas. Both of us were broke as could be. We were trying to sell roofs, terrible at it. Okay, we had a family friend come to us and try to sell us this pyramid scheme of a phone plan called Sullivan. Okay, now this this phone plan was was a deal where they, they said, "Here's what you'll do: if you you can leave your phone plan and you can buy this phone plan, and then what can happen is if you get people to Uh, upgrade to this phone plan then they will start paying their bill and some of their bill will pay your bill and as they get people to to sign up under them then your bill will be completely paid for and you won't have a cell phone bill and then you'll start making money off them paying their phone bill classic pyramid scheme I'm sitting there with my arms crossed like this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life who would ever in their right mind want to do this? And as I'm having that very thought, I look over to my right, and my friend Harrison's like, this is awesome. <laughs> he's like, are you kidding? Like, like people, we could get people to pay off our phone plan. And, and he's like the, the ideal target for this, for this salesperson. They're like, yeah. He's like, I'm doing it. So he cancels his, his phone plan with AT&T, and he signs up with Sullivan. And I remember looking at him like you are outside of your mind. And we get in the we get in the car and we start driving and he starts going off on how excited he is that he's about to make this income and he's about to never have to pay a phone bill ever again in his entire life and how he's going to start making money and how he's going to have to work less because people are going to be paying off his phone bill. And he goes, "Isn't this awesome?" And I'm sitting in the passenger seat going, "Yeah." That sounds cool. And I go, but here's the thing. What if, what if you get nobody to sign up for Solovey? And he looks at me and he goes, no, like, like I'm going to get people to sign up for Solovey. I, know, I said, no, that's great in theory. <laughs> it's great in theory. But, but what if you don't? And he looks at me and he goes, but I will. I look back at him. I said, but what if you don't? You could tell like the tension in the car was high and he looked back over at me and he goes, but I will. (laughs) For the record, he lasted six months, didn't sign anybody and he went to Verizon quickly after. And him and I have this joke with one another that every time there's a situation going on in our lives where we realize that one of us is... Seeing the situation one certain way. So he'll ask me, like, he he, he used to bug me all the time. So when are you gonna have kids? And I was like, I will when I'm ready. And he goes, when? And I'd go, I just will. I just will. Like, quit bothering me. Like, all of us have that friend who's like optimistic and they see like all the good in the world and they refuse to see any of the bad. And here's the thing. This is how Paul sounds when he's opening up this text. Rejoice in the Lord Always, I will say it again, rejoice. And I find this really, really fascinating that these are the words that he begins to open with in this text as he's about to talk about anxiety, as he's about to talk about a reality that has plagued the human race since Genesis chapter 3. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. And it's like, Paul, that's all well and good and all, but don't you know that there's a such thing as bad days? There's a such thing as people not signing up for Sullivan, you paying your phone bill for the rest of your life. There are days where we're gonna wake up and we're gonna turn on the news and we're gonna find out that Russia has invaded the Ukraine. There are days where we're gonna wake up and we're gonna open up our phones and we're gonna find out bad news. And the last thing that we are going to want to do is rejoice and yet the command that Paul gives in this text he gives two commands and he gives two promises the first command that he gives is to rejoice in the Lord always I will say it again rejoice but then he makes this command seen in light of this promise probably the most uh, the four most important words we might ever hear in our entire life He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And then he says, the Lord is near. If you're writing down notes, I want you to write down these four words. The Lord is near. He gives a promise. Now this is again, super fascinating that before Paul would go into saying, do not be anxious about anything, he makes this a very clear standalone sentence in this text. The Lord is near. Why are these words so profound? What would they mean to a Jewish person? What would they mean to us today if we could really understand who that Lord was? Because here's the thing. This is an important statement to hear when one is anxious. Have you ever experienced anxiety before? That feeling where your chest is just tight and all you can process, all you can comprehend is maybe the worst case scenarios, or maybe all you can think about is what could go wrong. or maybe all you can meditate on is how others are perceiving you or what their reality of you is or what your reality of them is. And, and you begin to, to wrestle with, how is this going to affect your day-to-day life? How, is, how are you gonna make it through the day? I mean, you, you, you might have have had anxiety to the point where it's like, I just don't wanna do anything else. Like, you feel crippled, you feel paralyzed. and And here's the thing, I know for a fact there's many in here that have dealt with that. I've dealt with that. But anxiety is nothing new under the sun to humanity. If we look back over the course of scripture, we see moment after moment after moment, not just people, but people groups, entire nations wrestling with anxiety. You go to Genesis 31 and 32, like we have have this moment where you have Jacob with all of his family and his wife and his children and, and all that he has earned, his livestock, his servants. And if you know the story of Jacob, you know that he's the son of Isaac, the second born, Esau's younger brother. And he deceived his father, Isaac, into giving him Esau's birthright. And so he steals the birthright And afraid of his brother, he flees into another land and he begins to live an entirely separate life. And in Genesis 31, 32, he's about to meet his older brother again for the first time. And he's terrified out of his mind, anxious out of his mind, so much so that he sends his family ahead of him. And he goes, you go ahead, I I can't go. And we, we watch in Genesis 32 as he wrestles, he wrestles with God at the river of Jabbok if you if you fast forward just a little bit more you go into the book of numbers and we have this moment where all of Israel is in the wilderness And they haven't moved into the promised land yet. This land that's supposedly flowing with milk and honey, supposedly supposed to be a land that God promised to them. And they're wondering what's going to happen. And so God looks at Moses and he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take 12 men from each tribe of Israel. And I want you to send 12 men to scout out the land and have them go look at the land and see if what I have told you is actually actually true and have them come back and give a report. And so 12 men go into the land And the twelve come back and all twelve say, yes, this land is flowing with milk and honey like everything God said was true, but ten of them go, but it's not possible. There are the Canaanites and the Amalekites and the Amorites and the Jebusites, all of them in the land, giants in the land. This land cannot be ours. And they, they take this anxiety that they find in the land, they bring it back and they give it to the nation of Israel and everybody begins to cry out. And they begin to weep and begin to make statements like it would be better if we would have just stayed in Egypt and died in Egypt. And you fast forward in scripture, we have a moment where Israel's facing off with the Philistines. First Samuel 17. And this giant walks out from the Philistine army named Goliath. And he says, who is your God? Send one of your warriors to fight me and we will go ahead and just make this simple. Whoever loses, the other shall submit to their nation and the entire nation of Israel in their anxiety and in their fear. Hide, including Saul, a man appointed by God to lead this nation. It's not exclusive to the Old Testament. You go to the New Testament. In the book of Acts, we have the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr, of the Christian church, the first man to die on behalf of Jesus, and all of a sudden, in this moment, a great persecution breaks out against the church, and what does the church do? They begin to run and hide. Anxiety is nothing new. And this is what I love about this text. Paul is not saying that to follow Jesus means you won't deal with anxiety. That's a lie. He goes, no, 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 What this text is going after is that There is something that the people of God specifically do when they are anxious. But more than that, there is something that the people of God understand when they are anxious. And that's first these four simple words. The Lord is near. You are not alone. I am not alone and in every single one of the stories that I just listed, we have, we have Jacob at the river of Jabbok. He literally wrestles with God all night. All night, God touches his hip, makes him lame for the rest of his life, and he gives Jacob a new name. He changes his name from Jacob to Israel, says, you are one who has wrestled with God. You have wrestled with God. You are going to be a part of that birthright in which you have stolen. And there's going to be a nation that comes through your line. Jacob had an understanding that his God was close to him. In Numbers 12, 13, and 14, 10 of those men come back to Israel and they begin to to bring their anxiety. But there are two of them, two of them, Joshua and Caleb, who know these four simple words, the Lord is near. And Joshua and Caleb go, no. It literally says they got on their knees and they tore their robes and they begin to cry out. Say, don't you guys remember? Don't you remember that the God who split the Red Sea, he is fighting for us. Don't you remember that no matter how big these Philistines seem to be, our God is greater. When David walked out onto the battlefield and he looked at Goliath, he didn't hesitate. Like he looked at him and he goes, who's this uncircumcised dude? <laughs> you can laugh, circumcision's a funny word. Like, like who, who's this guy who's blaspheming the name of God? Who, who, who is it, he's like, who, who's gonna fight this guy? And his brothers are like, shut your mouth. And he goes, no, I'll fight him. I'm like, don't you understand? Like, the, like, like, like I've slapped a lion in the face. I've kicked a bear like between his legs. <laughs> like I'll take him. I'll take him and he goes to King Saul and he's like, let me me fight this guy and he begins to run towards the battlefield and he goes, you come against me with sword, spear and javelin but I come against you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. He goes, "Don't, don't you understand who my God is? Go to Acts chapter five. The apostles preaching the gospel of Jesus. Sanhedrin pulls them before him and says, you gotta shut your mouth about this guy named Jesus and they go, no. So they're like, all right, we're gonna beat the mess out of you, they beat the mess out of them. And you know what the apostles' response is? They walk away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 16, you have Paul and Silas in prison. Paul and Silas in prison, and you know what their response is to being put into prison? They begin to worship. They begin to worship and the prison walls begin to shake and their chains fall off. There's something about accepting these four words that completely suffocate the reality of anxiety in our lives. The Lord is near. You realize what Paul is saying here. He's saying saying you're, you're not alone. The God of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, he is predetermined to not leave you. Alone. This is the same Lord that, as I said before, delivered Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. This is the same Lord who parted the Red Sea. This is the same Lord who gave them manna from heaven every single day for 40 years. This is the same Lord that shattered the walls of Jericho without having Israel having to lift a single sword. This is the exact same Lord who walked on water. This is the exact same Lord who commands the wind and the waves. This is the same Lord who rebuked disease demons and death this is the same Lord who conquered death hell and the grave this Lord is near to you and to me and scripture tells us that he's a he's a God who cares about us the apostle Peter echoes this in 1 Peter 5 7 he says cast all your anxiety on the Lord why because he cares for you, he cares for you. So the question that we're then posed with, where we see him say rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near, then he proceeds to say, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. But next slide. But in everything, in every situation, by prayer and by petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So here's the question. This is the, this is the anecdote. This is the prescription that Paul is giving us for when we wrestle with anxiety. Not if, but when we wrestle with anxiety. He says, when you are, you are to take that anxiety, all of those thoughts, all of those outcomes, all of that pain, and he goes, you're to give it to the Lord. So the question is, so how, are we, how are we to give it to the Lord? And he gives us three very simple practices. He says, pray, petition, and thank the Lord. Pray, petition, thank the Lord. Three simple things. But here's here's, here's what these three things do. They take what is internal and they make it external. Are you with me? They take what's going on inside. And what Paul is saying for us to do is he's saying, I want you to use the voice that God gave you. I want you to use the voice that God gave you and I want you to vocalize all of those anxieties that are spinning around your mind that are making your chest tight. He's like, I want you to vocalize them. I want you to offer them up in prayer and I want you to plead. I want you to petition with God and then I want you to thank God with those things. You know why this is so important? Because this is counterintuitive, isn't it? Isn't it that most of the time when we wrestle with anxiety, we don't want to voice it? Because if we voice it, then we're, it's like in some ways we're making it real. Like we don't want to acknowledge it and you don't want the world around you to know that this is what's going on inside you. So the easier and more simple and maybe the more natural thing to do is bury it. We bury it. It's, 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 you know, like, like, like what, how I feel right now, like the, this relationship, that, this friendship that like is making me so anxious and I don't know how it's going to go and I, I don't know how they're perceiving me and I, I don't know what to do I, and I don't wanna make that a reality so I'm gonna just simply stuff it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna push it down and, and Paul goes, no, 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 no. I want you to pray it. I want you to petition it. And I want you to thank God. Why does he ask us to do that? This goes hand in hand with what he tells the Romans in Romans 10, 17. He says, faith cometh by what? By what? By what? Hearing, and hearing of the word of God. Next slide, Zach, sorry about that bro, Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing of the word of God. So do you realize what that's doing? If you're gonna take what's internal and make it external and you're going to acknowledge what's going on, there are two things that you're doing. You're acknowledging the anxiety, but then by thanking God, you're acknowledging who has sovereignty and supremacy over the anxiety. Are you with me? And not only that, your ears are getting to hear that. Now what's going on inside here isn't to be dealt with with this person, no. What's going on inside here is being dealt with with this person by prayer, by petition, by thanksgiving. We take what's internal and we make it external and we give it to the Lord. And then what God does is beautiful, as he gives us a promise. Verse seven, can we put that up Zach? He says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now here's where this verse gets difficult. Because if any person in this room has wrestled with anxiety before, I'm willing to bet that you might come to me and tell me, hey, this sounds really great on paper but it's not my reality. I've prayed over and over and over again. Like I've tried to give God this anxiety and this peace that transcends all understanding. Like I, I still feel anxious. And what, what Jesus is wanting to show us here is, is something more counterintuitive I think than what we're expecting. Like Jesus takes peace very, very, very seriously. Right, John 14, verse 27, Jesus is in the final moments of his life. He's about to be betrayed. He's about to go to the cross. And in this moment of of him about to, to, to abandon or leave his followers and be abandoned by his followers, he's concerned about their anxiety. And this is what he says to his followers. He says, peace, I leave with you. Whose peace? My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So here's the thing. There are two forms of peace. There is a peace that the world is going to offer, and there is a peace that God gives. And they are two very different things. Let me give you an example of why they're different. We build our lives around peace, do we not? We lock our doors at night. I'm assuming. Right? Like we, we lock our doors at night, why? Because when we lock our doors at night, like my wife, she makes me like close the garage and then I have to lock the inside garage door. It makes no sense to me, but we have to have two locked. And it's double locked on the garage door. And then I gotta go and I, I gotta check the front door to make sure that the front door is locked and it is dead bolted. And then I gotta go to the back door to make sure that the back door is locked and I got the wooden stick down so that it can't slide open at night. Like like. We build our lives around peace. This is why we appreciate law enforcement, right? Like, it's nice that we have a local government that's going to enforce law, that's gonna force people to abide by restrictions that should be for the flourishing of humanity. This is why we like doctors and we like first responders. Zach Alvey, he's one of our volunteers in here, like like a first responder, like he, he takes the calls. Yeah, we can give, like, this is why we love people like that. Because what people like him represent is that when we're going to have a moment in crisis, if something's going to go south, we have somebody to call who will show up on our doorstep and help us live. We care about, like, we care about peace of mind. Like, like iPhone has find my iPhone. (laughs) Because we are so concerned about either one, losing our iPhones or losing track of people. That's a whole nother story in and of itself. Like, we can ping our AirPods. Like Apple gave us the ability to ping our AirPods because they wanted us to have peace of mind that we wouldn't lose our AirPods. Like, like it goes down to the small smallest things. Like we this is why we have retirement accounts. It's like we, we like live to make money so that we won't run out of money before we die. This is why it's unsettling when we wake up and we see on the news that Russia invaded the Ukraine, right? That violates our peace of mind. We have not just our nation, but the entire world watching this moment, asking ourselves the same question, what's gonna happen next? Is the world as we know it about to change? Is our reality as we know it about to change? I mean, I mean, it, it feels like like... Anything could happen at this moment. We value peace of mind. And the world offers us peace that gives us peace of mind. And hear me, I'm not here to bash on that peace. I'm grateful for my locks on the doors at night. I'm grateful that I can ping my AirPods before I go to the gym. (laughs) Right? I'm grateful that I can save in a retirement account. I'm grateful that we have speed limits. I'm grateful for men like Zach Alvey who will take care of me, who will take care of my family we're in crisis. I'm not here to bash on that, but this is what I'm trying to say. Jesus is saying that's not the peace he's trying to offer us. And there's a, one reason, one primary reason why that's not the peace that he wants to offer us, because. All of those forms of peace, all of those forms of peace of mind can be taken in a moment. A circumstance simply has to change for that peace to leave you. A lock on your door can be all well and good until you have somebody break down the door. Right? Like, like, being able to ping your AirPods is great unless they die. You better hope you can find them. Right, like, like all was well in the world until something happens that violates our sense of peace. And what Jesus is getting after here is he's saying, I'm not, I'm not here to give you that kind of peace. That kind of peace is gonna be snatched out of your hands in a moment's notice. That kind of peace won't last. That kind of peace isn't gonna hold you for very long. You see, that type of peace, the world's type of peace, it's, it's rooted in circumstances. And what Jesus is saying is like, I wanna give you a type of peace that's rooted in myself. He's like, I wanna give you a type of peace that can allow you to wake up and live your life and see a cross on your horizon and know that you're gonna be okay. Why? Because the Lord is near. Are you with me? Can I get the worship team to go ahead and come back up? I wanted to give a little bit extra time in response this evening. Will you stand with me? Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. The Apostle Paul, he's sitting in prison, unsure if he's gonna live the next day. Same guy who is persecuting the church, who in an encounter with Jesus decides to proclaim the message of Jesus all over the world. Same guy who would be taken into a town and stoned to death, dragged outside of the town, left, and he gets back up and he walks back into the town to preach the message of Jesus. The same guy who would get shipwrecked a couple times, who would be bitten by a snake. And he's saying these words, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Why can he say that? Four simple words. The Lord is near. Can you bow your head? In so many ways, it's being able to receive that statement as truth where the gospel can become good news for you. Our gospel is not good news if we have a distant God. Our gospel is not good news if we have a God who's not present and who does not care. Paul is not interested in that type of gospel. If that was true, Paul would not have said to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul would not have said That I count everything as a loss, as rubbish, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. If that were true, he would not be saying rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. The only way Paul is going to make any of these statements is if these four simple words are true. The Lord is near. He's near. He is near. Our gospel becomes good news when we can realize that God has not abandoned us, brothers and sisters. He has not left us alone. He's drawn near. He's drawn near. And the invitation that Paul is giving here is he's saying, we don't have to be a people who just internalizes our anxiety and thinks that God doesn't care. Does that mean you'll wake up tomorrow and all anxiety is gone? Maybe not. But it doesn't change the fact that the Lord is near. And this is the exchange that he's offering us in this text. He's saying, hear me, by prayer, by petition, by thanksgiving, you can hand this over to me. And what will he give you in return? The essence of the gospel is he will give you himself, himself in return. So for our response this evening, we're gonna have junior high come in and join us here in just a second. But what I would like you to do is I'd like you to find a space. Just find a space here in the room. If you can, stay in front of the sound booth. Stay in front of the sound booth. Just find a space, whether it be on the floor, it can be in your seat if you want it to be. But what I wanted to do as an act of response tonight is practice giving our anxiety to the Lord. Giving our fears to the Lord. Handing it over to Him. And so this is what I want you to do, Drew. Can we just, can we drop the lights even, even darker? I, uh, I want you to hear these four words. Hear these four words with with fresh eyes, with fresh ears. Four words, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Junior high, as you're coming in, I want you to just go ahead and find a spot in the room. Find a spot in the room by yourself. Spot in the room by yourself. In high school, this is what I, I want you to practice in this moment as, as Pastor Victor and the team sing this song. I want you to practice vocalizing, not just contemplating. I want you to realize like Paul in Romans ten seventeen, he didn't say that faith cometh by contemplating and contemplating of the word of God. That's not what Paul said. He said, faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. And so what I want you to do is I want you to identify that anxiety. I want you to identify that fear. I want you to identify that thing that's gnawing you on the inside. I want you to, and if it's not something that's just simply internal, it's something that you can acknowledge that's external, that's causing fear but I want you to identify it and I want you to vocalize it. I want you to practice praying, saying, Lord, I'm wrestling with fill in the blank and I don't know what to do with it. It's causing me such angst. I'm losing sleep. I cannot rest. It's hard to eat. I don't know what to do with this. I want you to I want you to pray. And then this you shift into petition. God, would you take this? God, would you help me? I know that you are near. I know that you are present. I know that you have come running in the person of Jesus Christ. Would you help me? Would you give me eyes to see? Would you give me faith to believe? Would you give me strength to stand firm? shift to thanksgiving. I thank you that you are a God who has not abandoned me to do this on my own. I thank you that you are a God who is for me and you are not against me. I thank you that you are a God who delights in taking my brokenness and my pain and replacing it with your life and your strength. This is what it looks like to not be anxious. It doesn't mean that we're, we're not having all of these realities and all of these pains and all of these anxieties inside us. What it means is that we are simply acknowledging that our God, Jesus, the Son of God, is supreme over them. And as you vocalize those things, let your ears hear it and let faith come by hearing and hearing of the word of God. Give it to him, relinquish it to him, and hear these four words yet again, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. You are not alone. You are not alone. Holy Spirit, would you come? Help us. Help us give our anxieties, give our fears, give our doubts to you. And I pray right now in Jesus' name that the peace of God that transcends, that passes all understanding, that is not rooted in circumstance, but it is rooted in your character, in your nature. I pray that it would wash over this room. Come. Have your way. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.